Yesterday's future, which is already here, ready here, ready here, ready here, meet today's future, which is about to happen, and tomorrow's future, which could be just minutes away. Welcome to Technology Revolution, the future of now, where host Bonnie D. Graham asks savvy futurists for their predictions about the tech-driven trends that are shaping our future right now. Here's your host, who will take us into the future of now, Bonnie D. Graham. Welcome, welcome, welcome. We are broadcasting live streaming live on Facebook on my Technology Revolution page and broadcasting audio live on Voice America Business Channel. Welcome, 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 welcome. The number of welcomes means the number of guests. Let me tell you, this is a topic you all want to stick around for today. Let me give you a little opening. I have a buzz quote, a little description, and then I'm going to have my four esteemed, I'm calling them futurists, not just, they're not just panelists or thought leaders, they're futurists, because we're talking about the future. So I found an ISACA survey that noted only 53% of surveyed business technology professionals believe their company's leadership is digitally literate. Let that sink in, digitally literate, knowing how to talk tech, how to think tech, how to understand tech. The other 47%, didn't think their leaders had a solid understanding of technology and its impacts or that they were unsure. I don't think that's too good. So let's look at the landscape here. Despite better AI, are the robots coming? I don't know, maybe. Easier app developing and robots joining the workplace. There is still a huge disconnect between non-technical CXOs. We call them CXO. That means anybody with a letter between C and O, CEO, CMO, CTO, you name it, and their tech teams, even in Silicon Valley. And that may be alarming. If you are a non-techie entrepreneur or any CXO, How do you ask for technical solutions or how do you hire engineers if you don't know what the words backend, RAM, stack, and a whole bunch of other words are just, I don't know, gibberish, gobbledygook. You got to look them up. You got to ask somebody. Executives today, here's the bottom line, need to develop technical intuition and systems thinking to be proficient at a technical communication level and to have that ability. And that's a quote from one of my panelists, Aman Agarwal, who is the CEO and founder of Sanpram Transnational. We'll talk to him in just a moment. So we're going to ask Aman. And Dr. Sharon Jones, who is also a host here on Voice America, she's at The Dot. On, well, she'll tell us about our show. The Dot is her company, and she's on the Business Channel a couple hours before we are. John Lester and Justin Bolden, they'll explain who they are to predict whether speaking tech will become, we're looking forward to the future, a basic business requirement. And the topic today is the future of digital literacy. Will CXOs need to talk tech. Welcome, welcome, welcome. Exciting topic. Never covered it before. And I have to do a shout out to Aman and to his colleague, Lisa, at Sam Pram, because they approached me as a listener through the email at Voice America. And Lisa said, Aman would like to be a guest on your show. And I said, well, I don't do one-on-one interviews. I only do panel discussions. Would you like to put together a topic and a panel? And Lisa and Aman said, Heck yes. And here we are a couple weeks later. So thank you to Aman and Lisa. Let's get started with introductions. Aman, I'm so happy to meet you. First time face-to-face here on Zoom. Would you please do me the honor of introducing yourself to my audience? Tell us about two and a half, three minutes. I know you have a huge bio, but two and a half, three minutes, what you do, what your company is, and a little bit about your passion for the topic. Aman, welcome. Absolutely. Thank you so much for having me. Uh, Yeah, so I am an engineer by trade. I used to build self-driving trucks in Silicon Valley before, um, b- before this. And even before that, I used to be a B2B sales guy doing, uh, you know, working for some, some enterprise startups. 
And uh, now I run an education company, which helps technical, non-technical leaders be more technically fluent uh, so that they can prepare for the new wave of digital transformation that is sweeping all industries. And uh, yep, I think you know that pretty much explains what my passion for this topic is. It's literally why I uh, what I founded my company on. Thank you very much. I appreciate your being here, and thank you for your efforts to put together the panel. It's it takes work, but when you get the right people, Sharon's nodding. Yes, when you get the right guests, you got a good show. Let's move on, Dr. Sharon Jones, uh, my colleague on Voice America, who I didn't even know was on Voice America. Welcome, Sharon, to my show, one of my shows, and please introduce yourself to my audience. Sharon, you're up. Hi, it's nice to see everybody. As she said, I'm Sharon Jones, and I have a show on the Voice America Network called Coding the Future, where we talk about much of what we're going to talk about today, about how do we prepare ourselves to be ready for the future in technology, and where does that fit into your current career and where you want to go. I have been a computer science educator for the past 20 years, and my focus has been around supporting educators and students to find their own passion and own way using technology. I run a consulting company, education consulting company similar to Aman, um, called The Dot, but my focus is on K-12 education, and we uh, work with our educators to help them overcome their fears around what is computer science and technology. And then I also have a nonprofit called Dottie Rose Foundation, where we support middle school girls in computer science. And my passion is education and the elevation of education by really understanding how you learn, what your passions are, and using that to drive how and what you learn. Aaron, thank you so much. I'm honored to have you here. Very impressive. I've been told, and I'm not going to mention any age or years, but I've been told I'm an early woman in tech from way back. I was <laughs> I was coding in COBOL on a Xerox yes. Sigma 6 CP5 in the key punch days. Yes, where you had to stand up. Amon's uh, eyebrows yeah. are going up. I had to stand up on a step stool <laughs> to reach the disk pack that was this big to put it into the disk drive yeah. <laughs> when I was working in the computer room. Those were the days. So we have you and I have a lot to talk about offline. Thank you, Sharon. Yes. John Lester, welcome. We're happy to have you here. Go ahead. Introduce Thank yourself. Thank you, Bonnie. Um, I, I have to say, I have you beat a little bit. I started on paper tape, and boy, that was a, <laughs> a disaster. And, and I know Amin has no idea what paper tape is, but, but that's okay. <laughs> So I, I have spent the last uh, 40 years working with primarily major corporations and helping them to understand and deploy technology, either for top-line growth or, or bottom-line uh, remediation, if you will. And currently, I have a consulting practice called One Broken Cog, business partner and myself. And we practice uh, is based around hype, being hyper-focused on helping organizations discover the misaligned processes, practices, and approaches and attitudes that result in lower revenues and the loss of top-producing sales talent. So this is really about what are you doing internally that is preventing you from getting revenue and, and preventing you from keeping your sales folks. And uh, one of the, the passions for this I have is was, was really highlighted with COVID because what we saw with COVID recently is that a lot of businesses went out because they didn't have efficient processes and practices, whether they use technology or not, but they weren't able to withstand the rigor that COVID put on a business to say, are you operating efficiently or not? So the, the real problem was not so much the business that went out, but it's the employees that got hurt. 
So my passion is really how do we help businesses understand how to, how to utilize technology for the good of their employees. Very interesting. And big buzz these days, John, as you probably know, is employee experience, right? right. Human experience management is a new term, HXM. I did a show on that on one of my series a couple of days ago. That's a buzz people need to get used to. And you used a word I haven't heard in a long time, rigor. We usually talk uh, on my business shows, we talk about digitalization, companies that dip their toe in the water, put their foot in the deep end of the pool and started it before COVID, had the ability to be resilient, agile, work on their business model reinvention to be able to survive during the pandemic. But your rigor is a very interesting word and I appreciate that. You and I will have a conversation about that. Thank you, John. Pleasure to meet you. And last but of course not least is Justin Bolden. Justin, please introduce yourself and welcome. Hi, thanks for having me. And uh, yeah, this topic is very interesting to me because I'm not sure I may or may not qualify as a non-technical CXO. I am, by a job description, I'm the CTO and co-founder of a small software startup down here in Austin. Um, By practice, I'm a programmer, uh, pretty much full-time programmer. Um, I have actually Never taken a computer science class. I, uh, I took one class in high school called Business Computer Applications, which was taught by the tennis coach. Um, and it was basically how to use Microsoft Office. Um, although that was, that was actually maybe one of the singularly most useful classes I've ever taken. I'll get to that maybe later in one of my predictions. Um, I, uh, I went, when I went to college, I thought I was going to be a lawyer. So I studied uh, classics, ancient Greek and Latin. Then I met some lawyers, decided I didn't want to do that didn't look fun. Um, I spent a little while, um, I wrote a novel. Um, unfortunately, I wrote one novel of a trilogy. Um, so I was working on the second novel, found out I was about to have a kid, or not about to, but, you know, so I thought, you know, I better go do something that actually makes some money. So uh, I went out and uh, the, my current co-founder actually hired me, kind of on, took a long shot, hired me as a sysadmin, um, I then discovered that those skills that I had learned, you know, translating ancient languages and building the structure for a novel worked really well for learning computer languages and designing software. And so I took that and ran with it. Um, turns out it was a lot more fun than I expected. It was really just supposed to be a stopgap. I am still planning to go back and write eventually, but I really love technology. Um, and uh, so, But I've been focused almost primarily on building technology for nonprofits, um, which means that a lot of my, the people using my technology also have not been technically trained. Um, They're often caseworkers, program managers, um, and the company itself, we bridge that gap between business and nonprofit. We are technically a business, but a lot of the staff came from the nonprofit sector. So I've worked with, you know, all the executive staff and whatever, had to explain them things and you know it's it's, i've definitely been bridging that and show that you know by the ceo she's founded two software companies now and she is a a case management that's what she went to school for so i love this topic i think it's great and i think there's a lot to be explored here 
Thank you, Justin. I think you're a reincarnation of what we used to call the Renaissance man. I, I want to know about, I want to see your novel. I want to read the first part of the trilogy coming soon from Justin Bolden any year now. That's, that's a great story. It's called Life Interrupt Us, right? On, on the way to being a novelist, life happened. Very interesting. Aman, I have to tell you, you and Lisa did a heck of a job pulling people together for this panel. I am so impressed with each of you. Very, very impressive. Love the backgrounds and uh, such a variety. Thank you. But before I get lost in compliments here, we have a show to do. So let's move on. It's the part of the show where I've asked my guests to send me quotes from a movie, a TV show, a song that have absolutely nothing to do with the topic. And they're going to explain in their own words why they picked the quote and what it does have to do with the topic. So Aman Agarwal has picked a quote from something I've never heard of. It's a 2009 Japanese television drama called Jin, J-I-N. I'm not going to try to spell with the Japanese letters. First broadcast on TBS in 2009, second season in 2011, based on the Japanese manga series Jin. And it's one of the most popular dramas of the year and won many awards. Briefly, a brain surgeon named Jin spent two years in anguish. He botched an operation on his fiance and he's knocked unconscious by a patient and finds himself transported back in time to another period in time and tries to claw his way back to the present. A little bit of back to the future, I'm not sure. Here is the quote. Interesting. Aman, I can't wait to hear your explanation. I thought I was a neurosurgeon, but I'm really just a quack. <laughs> Go ahead. Great quote. I don't know where we're going with this. Aman, you're up. <laughs> Yeah, so the reason I love this quote is that this doctor, this very esteemed neurosurgeon, goes back in time in Tokyo, uh, 150 years back, right? And he finds that, you know, a lot of the, the ailments that he sees in people at the same time are very easily fixable um, in modern day. But at that time, he didn't have the tools and the technologies and the systems in place to be able to treat those patients, right? So he, he, he realized that what he had really learned in medical school was how to was like being a mechanic where how how does he use the perforator and these tools and somebody gives anesthesia um he was used to all these systems but he wasn't really a doctor he had just gotten used to conducting these surgeries in a very um but he didn't really know that much about medicine and how you know how anesthesia really works um how these things really happen in the first place and so for example he had to learn he had to relearn what a blood transfusion is and how do you detect what blood group a person has right because nobody's doing it for him and so it reminds me as engine as, as an engineer myself how much of what i do and i was you know rolling my eyes when you were talking about cobol in the as a 1980s <laughs> or 70s never mind <laughs> Thank you very much, Aman. Let me move on to Dr. Sharon Jones. And Sharon has sent us a quote from, let me go back to gallery view here because I have Justin on the screen for some reason. Let's go back. Nice to see you, Justin. Leanne Womack's song that she recorded with Sons of the Desert back in, in, uh, let's see when it was, I Hope You Dance is a song. And that's the quote. It was a major crossover music hit, reached number one on the Billboard country chart and top 15 of the Billboard Hot 100 and became Leanne Womack's signature song. And it was written by Mark. Sanders and Tia Sillers with Sons of the Desert, whose last name is also Womack, but they're not related to Leanne. Very, very interesting. So I hope you dance. And this is one of my favorite songs to quote. I used to end my Monday night radio shows with this quote. So Sharon, what does I hope you dance have to do with our topic? Go ahead, Sharon. (laughs) 
Well, first, um, that's really cool. I um, I'm a huge country music fan. Always have been. It always has the words have always spoken to me. But this song in particular, the reason why I uh, love it so much is when we're talking about the concepts around technology and Justin, I was not in my head so much when you were speaking about how I am not formally trained myself. I taught myself everything I know in programming. I was going to be DJ Sharky Sharon when I was in high school and in college. So totally feel you on the path of craziness. And I think that's, that's really why I chose this quote because there's a line in there that says never, never settle for the path of least resistance. And when it comes to, understanding technology and the path that's ahead of us technology is moving so quickly but we have to don't settle for not knowing give yourself the opportunity to learn and to try and for those of us that have been experienced or are are programming even justin brought this up and it's something that i say over and over and over again he understands different classical languages right aman has done all these things in engineering if you can understand how to process any of that information, you can also process and learn how to code. And that's really important as we move forward. And so that's my, that's my piece. And never fear those mountains in the distance. Know that you can, you can accomplish anything, whatever the world brings you. And so for me, that's always, I hope you dance and I hope you embrace all that comes your way. Thank you. And and can we apply that, Sharon, to our topic specifically about people who are non-technical, but they're in leadership roles and they need Absolutely. where they, they need to dance that dance. They need to talk yeah. that talk. They need to walk that walk. It's not that hard. Is it to understand tech? Is it a question just looking up a vocabulary, Sharon, so you can have a conversation? Yeah. You know, I, there's this famous thing called Google. And no. I mean, we're friends, you know, he, I've Google and I are very good friends, well, but you know, it, this is what I say all the time. You know, don't, we, we cannot absorb a fire hydrant of information. That's just not something we can do as humans. But if there's something that comes up, like if you don't understand the acronym of AI, which is artificial intelligence, you can Google it and get a little bit of reference point. And then you're like, oh, so you don't have to feel so overwhelmed. You can just do little nuggets at a time. And I, I drive this home anytime I'm working with anybody. Find what you love. If you love art, then let's talk about all the digital technologies that can embrace art. And that's mm-hmm. how you dance. You start with what you love and then go and embrace that piece and then it'll lead you to the next path. Very, very nice segue there, Sharon. I admire you. Oh, you danced into another genre there. That was beautiful. Thank you very much. John Lester, you're up next. John has sent us a quote from the Blues Brothers, 1980 American musical comedy film directed by John Landis, starring John Belushi as Joliet Jake Blues and Dan Aykroyd as his brother, L. Wood. And this comes from a recurring sketch of the Blues Brothers on Saturday Night Live. And the film was set around Chicago. And here is the quote. It's a two-part quote. L. Wood says... There's one, I'm not going to pretend to do a Dan Aykroyd accent. I'm sorry, John. You could do it if you want. (laughs) There's 106 miles to Chicago. We've got a full tank of gas, half a pack of cigarettes. It's dark out. We're wearing sunglasses. And Joliet Jake says, hit it. Okay, John, bail me out here. What's this got to do with our topic? I love the quote, by the way. I I love this quote. I love this movie. Um, What's so amazing, if if you have seen the movie, you'll, you'll, Take yourself back to it if you haven't. You got to go watch it. They have just been through um, uh, an amazing number of sequences of of things that will stop them from their mission, which is getting to Chicago to deliver five thousand dollars to the registrar to prevent the um, the the 
orphanage where they were raised from, from being shut down on their mortgage. And they have um, put a concert on. They've just snuck down through the stage floor, out the back, through the sewage system, been stopped by Carrie Fisher playing Jake's wife who shoots him with a machine gun or attempts to. Uh, they've got police from the state. They've got local police. They've got another singing group. Everybody's chasing them, but they have one mission. And what I love about this is, is and it's all done in deadpan if you watch it, it's, it's a recognition of all of the things that are around them, all of the things that they can't control, all of the things that they do have at their disposal at the moment, but staying hyper-focused on the mission is to get the money and keep the orphanage open. And I just love the way they deliver this with all of this insanity going on. And it, it's to me, it's the same way businesses re need to, to run. I mean, yes, we're being thrown things constantly, including technology evolving at a faster rate than it's ever done in the history. And the rate is increasing every day. And yet we still have to stay focused on what we're trying to do, whatever your mission is, whether it's a nonprofit, whether it's manufacturing, whatever it is, you still have to stay focused on the mission and the people and deal with all this other stuff. Thank you very much. Love the quote and love harking back to the good old days of SNL. Very interesting. It's amazing that it's been around as long as it has through the, the good years and the lean years of, of its comedy, but it's still around. And there was a quite an interesting show last Saturday. We won't get into politics, but I thought it was one of the best <laughs> monologues I've ever seen in the, no, the opening sketch. Never mind, Bonnie. Okay. Let's go to Justin Bolden. Justin has sent us a quote from another movie classic, Jurassic Park. The character was chief engineer Ray Arnold, played by the one and only Samuel L. Jackson. And the movie is a 1993 American sci-fi adventure giant monster film. Now that's a lot of genres, Justin. Adventure giant monster <laughs> film. Directed by Spielberg, of course. An interesting Spielberg. Spielberg acquired the rights to the, to the book, to the story, for $1.5 million, which is probably just pocket change for him, before its publication in 1990, and they hired Crichton for an additional $500,000 to adapt the novel for the screen. It became the highest grossing movie of 1993 and the highest grossing film ever at the time. Do you know what movie knocked it out of the highest grossing slot? Justin, anybody? I'm guessing Titanic. You okay. are absolutely right. And I think I wrote that in the notes before the show. 1997, <laughs> Titanic knocked it out. Here is the quote. It's five. I love these five-word quotes. John, I loved yours. It was more than five words and four words from Sharon. But this is a cool one. Hold on to your butts. Okay, Justin, you're up. you got to <laughs> bail me on this one. What are we talking about? All right. Well, I mean, first of all, this is just a great movie just in general, but it's particularly good for this talk topic. There's so many themes with technology and technological literacy. Um, I mean, it's basically the, the story of a, a CEO who has this great vision for how technology is going to make the world a better place and it's going to enchant everyone. And he, he wants to just see the positive pieces and you know, he, he doesn't understand the technical details. I think at one point he refers to it as mumbo jumbo. He gets irritated by the scientists, but he's still, he's got the dream and he makes it real. Um, and to some extent, it's a little bit of a cautionary tale. Um, obviously the technology gets a little out of control, but I'm gonna make the case that it's actually not the lack of understanding of the technology, but of the people and how the people use the technology. It's actually, you know, corporate espionage and the hacker that really brings it down. Not so much the technology itself. I think the people are really more important. Um, but I mean, even beyond that story, ev almost every character has their own little arc with fluency. There's the archaeologist who can't get the UI to work with the Jeeps and he's got to get the kids to help him. There's, you know, the programmer himself. There's even an actual futurist and Ian Malcolm, Jeff Goldblum just nailed that role. 
Um, and so, I mean, I think that the movie's great, all sorts of technical themes that can be explored. This quote itself is uh, right before um, he flips the breaker, which is essentially, you know, rebooting the technology, which we all are familiar with. And, you know, the sort of a fatalistic prayer, like, please help the technology saves us from the problems that the technology started. Um, and, you know, the, we're, we're on, in for the ride. And this is a little bit of personal significance for this. This is the quote that I send out to the dev and the QA team every time I'm about to pull the trigger on a big upgrade script that we're going to run on the server. Um, you know, even when we spent three or four months working on it and testing it and polishing it, you never know for sure if it's going to work until it works. So everybody hold on to your butts. Here we go. I love it. I love it. You may be wondering why I asked my guests for movie quotes and song quotes. And I figured people want, you know, I, I, I don't know if I invented the phrase ear share. Everybody's doing a podcast. Everybody's out there doing yeah. something. Right, John? Everybody say, listen to me and watch me every two minutes. Right, Sharon? Somebody's going on. I want to keep the audience interested, but I want them to get to know you, my panelists, in, in a cultural way. What matters to you? What's your favorite movie? What, or what movie do you think is interesting that you've never seen that you want us to know about? So, so that's why I ask you to go from a movie or song or a TV quote into our topic so we can hear how you think and get to know you on a different level. So thank you all for sharing that. I really enjoyed all of your quotes. So let's go to the predictions round. I'm giving you all a heads up. We're going to do prediction number one for each of you around the table. I've already got the, it teed up for Aman. I'm going to read your prediction and then ask you to spend about two minutes or so explaining what in the world it means to our topic today. And if you're just tuning in, this is Technology Revolution, the Future of Now. I'm Bonnie D. Graham. If you're keeping track, this is episode number 77. We do a show just about every week. We started this about a year ago, and today is Wednesday, February 3rd. If you're listening to a replay, which will be up in a couple of hours, our topic is the future of digital literacy. Will CXOs need to talk tech? So we're focusing on the C-suite. What do business leaders need to know? How do they need to be able to communicate? Is it a new Tower of Babel? Well, it doesn't have to be. As Sharon Jones pointed out, you can look up most of the stuff. You can listen to ML, machine, le- machine learning, AI, artificial intelligence, IoT, Internet of Things. You can look up things like Stack, and you can look up things like RAM, and you can also ask tech people you know to explain it to you in lay terms. Let's go with our predictions and see where this is heading. Amon Agarwal is up first. Amon, I'm going to read your prediction number one, and here we go. You say, software engineering is quickly becoming much less about writing code from scratch and more like playing with Legos. I'm going to stop right there because that's very intriguing. Aman, talk to us. Sure. So I think um, with how technology has evolved from, you know, punch uh, cards to now where you just drag and drop things uh, together, um, from a C-suite point of view, you're usually playing with blocks in a system. You know, you're a systems engineer at the high level and you're just, you're like an orchestrator of, you know, these musicians who are writing the code and building the blocks that you know where they go. And so it really goes to, you don't, technical fluency is more about understanding the blocks as, you know, blocks. You don't have to understand what goes in, inside them. It's, it's beneficial, but the bar to be technically fluent is much less today than it has ever been bef- that in history, right? If you had to be technically fluent in the 90s, you had a long road ahead of you, but now in uh, 2020, 2021, it's much easier to just understand the systems and how they work and be able to guide people on about your vision. 
Thank you very much. Let's go to interesting. Let's go to Sharon, your prediction number one. I'm teeing it up here is, hold on, wait, 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 big document to scroll in. Here we go. Prediction number one. Sharon says everyone will need to take a basic coding class. Aha, Sharon, talk to us. So I completely agree with what Aman is saying, that there's a much larger level of abstraction and where block coding has really opened the door for more people to have the opportunity to learn how the process works. I am extremely adamant, and I think that it is, it is a disservice if, if every person doesn't have the opportunity to see what's under the hood. So a lot of what you see on block coding or even the abstract level, as wonderful it is, and believe me, I use the products on a regular basis. I think it's really imperative that you understand the who, what, when, how of how that piece of technology was created. So it doesn't have to be the most complex programming language ever invented, you know, something uh, much like what you did with COBOL or what I learned on, which was visualbasic.net, you know, some of those object-oriented languages are, you know, not, maybe not be your cup of tea, but something out of a basic programming language, HTML, CSS, JavaScript, Python, any of those um, C, some of the ones that you can learn and you can pick up really quickly. I think it's really, I think it's just important. You need to understand what variables are, how conditional statements work, understand that if you click here, then something happens. And I just think that's important. And that's a part of the building block. Thank you, Sharon. Interesting perspective. Everybody's not. Anybody want to comment? Amon or Justin, I see you. Anybody want yeah, to comment? I think, I think it's, uh, oh, sorry. Go ahead, Justin. Amon, you go first. Yeah. Yeah, I think I think I really agree with it. I think everybody needs to learn the basic computational thinking mm-hmm. uh, that programming teaches you. Mm-hmm. Um, and then what people really, you know, the the advice that a lot of people get afterwards, even though they know this, is that well, there's a long road of like three three or four more years to become like a senior developer, uh, so that you can communicate technical, you know, high level technical concepts and lead an engineering organization. And I think, you know, once you understand computational thinking through taking a basic coding class, and even I had, you know, that same, uh, you know, kind of formation uh, since college. Uh, After a point, you need to take, make a choice of, are you going to become an engineer or are you going to become a, you know, like somebody who can just uh, work with engineers and, dream about, you know, what you want to see in the world and have other people work on them with you. Thank you. Justin, love to hear your comment. Sure. Yeah. I mean, uh, I was going to talk about the, in the later point, but I'll bring it up here. The, the idea of the, the hello world test. Um, I really think, <laughs> you know, everybody should be given the hello world test because you said anyone yes. or most anyone, you can learn to program, but really what, do you love it? And if you put someone down yep. in front of a computer and you have them do that first exercise and when it prints out hello world on the screen, what any language you can get to do it. And if they, mm-hmm. their heart rate goes up, then like, we got one, you know? <laughs> oh my gosh, Justin, <laughs> I love that so much because I tease all the time that like, I have a t-shirt that says hello world. And mm-hmm. it's yes. always the first thing that you do whenever you're learning a programming language. But that's really, I love the way you said that. If their heart goes p- kind of a pitter patter, you know you've got a, a programmer because the truth of it is, once you learn it once, you can apply it to all kinds of languages. Justin, you have to level set for us. For those out in the audience who don't know what the Hello World test is, can you just briefly tell us what it is? Well, yeah, I mean, it's in m- most any tutorial you, you pick up a language, one of the first things you do is you figure out what you have to tell the computer to get it to print hello world out, whether it's, you know, just putting it in an HTML tag or whether you're doing it in Python or any language has some output of some form. Maybe it's audio, you get it to speak hello world. 
But um, that's almost always the first thing you do. And it, it's so exciting when you, I, I did it. I got it. I made it do something. Um, it's, yeah, it's the fun piece. By the way, there's a TV series from several years ago. I'm not sure if it's Netflix called Halt and Catch Fire. If you haven't seen it, please watch it. It's about a fictitious group of people who create the first personal computer in competition with, I don't remember whether IBM had just come out with something or Apple, but it's a, it's several seasons. It's very interesting ins and outs of the people who ran the company and they created something called community and who was on community and the idea of what need, how'd they get it to go faster and who was going to invest in it. It's a fascinating look fictitiously, but through drama of, of the people who were involved early on. And I have to tell you, when I was taking my computer classes, I have two degrees in computer programming and operations in my class. And it was post-bachelor. This was my graduate school was a community college, actually. And we had people who had joined this computer class. When I signed up, just out of curiosity, they said to me, there won't be any seats in the room for the first three weeks. Just keep coming back. By the third week, most people will drop out because they realize it's right, John, right, Sharon? It's not for them. By the third week, there were plenty of seats. I looked around the room and I was in my late late 20s, uh, newly divorced, had a bachelor's degree in psychology, didn't have a job, needed to support my kids. And I looked at somebody was a refugee or a dropout from architecture school. Somebody had dropped out of med school. Somebody had gone through law school and not want to be a lawyer. I had a degree in psychology. We came from different disciplines, but we had to build our own compiler, Sharon. That was one of our exercises, fake language, working with a team, coming up with a fake language, make it work. But what's interesting was when I started to code and I did uh, Fortran and COBOL and all kinds of other uh, basic languages. They taught us a whole bunch of languages. But when I got my first program to work, I literally jumped up like the Toyota commercial. And it was a eureka (laughs) moment. I have done something. It was an amen. (laughs) Come to mama moment. Yep. Did the (laughs) same thing. um, And I still have my silver cobalt book, by the way. And I was hired as a (laughs) full-time programmer systems analyst to run a whole system by the college right out of school. But anyway, bringing back such wonderful memories. It was so exciting to take a blank page and create something that solved a problem. That's what it was, right? It's a puzzle. What do you, how do you get there in a language that's not your native English or whatever language? You, yes, 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 yes. So let's go on. I'm up to prediction number one. Mr. John Lester, you've been so patient. John says, this is interesting. Marketers and decision makers of all kinds will have to be pseudo data scientists. Interesting. John, talk to me. I would like to first comment, though, because of what what we just went through for the past few months is, is so important. Um, so many times people have said, I don't know what's wrong with this computer. It's not doing what I want it to do. And taking a programming language is, is, it's not about being a programmer. It's about understanding how a piece of technology thinks or reacts. I don't want to use think, but it makes sense. How it thinks, how it reacts, and how that's so much different from a human being. And what we are trying to do, and which causes so much problems with, with people, is we're trying to take our own emotions and make a piece of technology that can't do it, do it. And once you understand what programming is from the perspective of this is how a computer thinks, everything else about technology makes sense. I still think to this day in Fortran. I actually process, my brain yep. processes in Fortran. <laughs> um, and look it up in Google. I know you don't know what it is. It's okay. I know what Fortran is. <laughs> yes, we all know. It's, it's what is the baseline. But I love what you just said, John. That's I'm nodding. 
That's amazing. <laughs> That's exactly what we try to try to portray on a regular basis. And I, I would you, strongly Jeff. recommend that everybody go out and find a copy of the 1970s book, Data Structures and Non-Numeric Algorithms, because it's a great read. Now, onto the prediction. Yes. Yeah, uh, this this is this is kind of interesting. What has happened over the past forty years or so is that um, we have more data. So we have more data because we've been able to collect more things. We have more data because there are more ways to collect more things. There's more data because technologies become pervasive on a global basis. So now instead of just getting, um, let's say, statistical information on on people who drive red cars from the United States, now we have it from every country in the world. So one, people have to understand that there is all of this data. It's coming from all these different sources, but a lot of this data is not what I would call first level data. It's not discrete data, it's merged data. So if I say, you know, a thousand cars pass this mini mall between the hours of nine and 11 on a Saturday, and that's one data point, and I say uh, pizza sales increased from 11.30 to 12.15, in the pizza shop in the mini mall, does that mean that there's a correlation between the red cars passing and the pizza? And what people have to really be conscious of and aware of is that not everybody out there in the real world is going to use this data properly. They're going to twist and turn this data. Let's talk about, uh, let's talk about synthetic derivatives, if anybody remembers 2008 and 2010, all right? People have to be aware of where this data is coming from, what the data really means before they start to use it to make decisions in their business. So yeah, they're gonna have to do some digging. Thank you very much. We're getting deep here. I love it. Thank you very much, John. And let's move to Justin's prediction number one. The The time is flying. We're going to do a second round of quick prediction number twos around the table after this. So here's Justin's. This is interesting. The correlation between technological literacy and individual quality of life will continue to deepen over the next decades. Justin, this is important. Tell us more. Right. Well, I think, you know, more than just CXOs in the boardroom and, you know, sales managers and meetings that's important for them to understand, you know, how to use Zoom and how these things work. I think all of us, we're social creatures. And as a group, we're all becoming increasingly connected through technology, the way you order your food, you know, book your vacation travel, go to fill out your forms for a doctor, um, everything. Um, even driving will soon be a, an experience of UI, um, cooking. I've got a smart oven in here. I don't have to cook anymore. I just tell it what I put in there and it starts cooking it for me. Um, and as if you, if we don't stay on pace with each other, then those people who fall behind are going to become increasingly isolated um, and unable to receive, you know, the basic necessities that they need. And I, I think a lot of it is up to, some of it is up to them to learn. As you've been saying, I love it that people who aren't technically fluent don't realize how much time we spend looking things up. Mm -hmm. I mean, I'm on Stack Overflow 15 times a day. Oh, that's maybe not 15 times a day, but we, we were just Googling stuff all the time. Everyone can do that. Um, and it, but it's also on us to make sure that the technology we're creating is easy to understand and digest. We've, we've got to bring everyone along, you know, things like, you know, having these classes and teaching kids. Um, I think that's really important. Um, I used to do a brown bag lunch once a year um, where I would just cover for the whole company the basics of troubleshooting. Where do you start? How do you narrow down where the problem is? Is it a hardware? Is it a software? And, you know, you can use that when, it, when your phone's acting weird or when your toaster's broken. You know, I think every, anyone who knows about technology, it's up to us to a, share that information 
and then build things that don't require a PhD to use. Um, so, I mean, I, I think that's really important for all of us to remember. Thank you very much. Great first round of predictions. Let's see. We've got uh, 16 minutes left. I think we can cover another one. I might go out of order. I changed my mind. I'm going to prediction number four for Aman. This is interesting. He says, corporations may soon effectively need an AI board member. Listen up. (laughs) An impartial, relentlessly data-driven decision maker. Only corporations with technically fluent leadership will be able to take advantage of this. Aman, let's do some groundbreaking here. What are you predicting? Yeah, so I think the turning point for um, for AI, using AI as a strategic decision-making tool came in 2015. Yeah, it, it beat a board game called Go, and then it also beat a video game called StarCraft. Uh, both of these very strategic require collaborate, and the latter requires some uh, a, a lot of management, collaboration between multiple uh, team members. And I realized that if you just you know in, extrapolate that a little further, um, I'm now seeing research papers where they're using AI to predict the uh, forecast for solar energy multiple years, and using that to guide the low-level decision making in the process plants and all these. So I feel like a lot of companies uh, will greatly benefit, and of course they've already realized this. They've, they'll greatly benefit with one decision maker that can look at and make sense of humongous amounts of data much more than a human can of course human human thinking has its own value i think at least at least for a while longer um but i feel like the ridiculous computational skill of computers is going to be really a strategic advantage um, in global business it, within a few years Aman, what would you call that chief officer? Would it be chief artificial officer, chief L language officer? What would it be? I don't know. <laughs> we, we, we can take bids on that title. When we, chief when we, AI. <laughs> chief AI, chief, chief artificial intelligence. Okay. Just maybe see a new CIO too, chief intelligence. Nah, I don't like that one. We'll, we'll think about it. Okay, Sharon Jones, let's go to you, prediction number one. And by the way, I'm supposed to tell my engineer uh, says that Starcraft Brood War is the best one. Aaron is a big fan of Starcraft. So I'm communicating that to whoever <laughs> mentions Starcraft. There you go. Sharon Jones, here we go. Online learning will be more effective, get more robust. She says effective online learning is about more than posting assignments and Zoom lectures. I'm going to let you finish that prediction. Sharon, join me, please. Yes, thank you so much. You know, I'm going to play off of much of what Aman and, and Justin and John have already said about the way in which we interact with technology and how we're using it to solve problems. And one piece that we've noticed as we entered into the pandemic timeframe is that we immediately had to jump into an online platform. While there has been online learning and there's been content in which we can communicate, it has not been particularly robust. And I think over what, actually, I don't think I know what will happen is much like Justin said, the way in which we develop technology and we interact with it, it will become more seamless with the way in which we engage with the tech and how it serves our its purpose in our lives. And I very much see that as we move into 2022, higher educations will institutions will probably lead the way with this and then K-12 will come behind because they're always a little bit behind um, in developing platforms, curriculum, and and pieces that will harness the power of tech, because I don't think we're ever going to see us go back to where it's just the lecture style. 
not that it's not going to be there somewhat, but I really feel this momentum of the change in which we're going to interact with how we learn. Thank you very much. Very interesting. Good. Pro- yeah, go ahead, Sharon. And thank you so much. I do have to go and put on my mom hat now and go to do online learning. This has been absolutely amazing. And I thank you so much for the opportunity. But if you don't hear my voice again, you're going to leave your people. picture up. Should we just looking be looking yes, at your mic? Yes, we can do that. Are you going to pop back in or are you gone for good? I'm going to do my best. Yes. Okay. We just ha- it, this is, y'all, this is, an, this is an interesting time right now. Multitasking. It, yeah. Very much is. And we're very honored that you <laughs> took the time to join us and Thank loved you. your two predictions and your quote. Sharon, you and I have to talk about some some co-things. I would love to come and talk about early women in tech on one of your sh- on your shows I'd one of these that. days. Thank I would you. really, really like that. Okay. And we'll, we'll talk more about other topics for this one. Okay. Sharon's Thank going you. off to online learning. Let's go to prediction number three from John Lester. Interesting. John says, if they would only understand technology, people will be able to filter out the messages they receive. John, without getting political, I don't know if that's where you're going with this, but let's talk. Go ahead. No, actually, it's not political at all. With the first prediction talking about the marketers and decision makers having to be data scientists, what's going on is, is that we're we are getting smarter and understanding what messages we want to deliver to people. So the marketing folks and, and, and the um, information technology folks are, are getting together and they're saying, how do we mine information? How do we send that information to people? How do we keep hitting people? And what's, what's happening is people are saying, wait a minute, I, this is too much. I can't deal with this. We've seen the, the do not call list come out a number of years ago. Stop calling me marketer. Leave mm-hmm. me alone. We're seeing people getting off of Twitter, getting off of Facebook because it's too much. And what we're going to be seeing more and more of is people being able to say, if, if a message comes through to me uh, in whatever medium from this individual, I don't want it. From this company, I don't want it. Around this topic, I don't want it. And I believe that our technology components, our, our personal devices, um, as potential consumers, as potential customers to some of these organizations, we are going to become smarter. We're going to have we're going to have little widgets on them, little apps on them that allow us to filter things out and say, you know, leave me alone for now. In fact, it, it's interesting. Somebody <laughs> was just mentioning uh, an hour or an hour and a half ago on, on a call I was on the the notion that the flip phone is back, and part of the reasons the flip phone is back is because you can close it because everybody right now ah. when we're on a Zoom call is they're actually checking email. And it's, 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 to a lot of people, it's insulting. Either mm-hmm. you're going to pay attention or you're not. And yep. everybody's checking their phone. And, and this person was so enamored with the notion of a flip phone because it allows you to say, I do not wish to be disturbed right now. And so the marketers, from my perspective, are going to have to get smarter about how much and to what extent they give information to people or people will find this stuff out and they will start to, to, tone, to tone these people out. Thank you very much. Interesting. Very uh, cultural reference there. I appreciate that. Thank you. Justin, we've got a very long prediction here, number four. I'm just going to read the first couple of sentences and ask you to unpack it for us. You say, there will be unexpected consequences. I think we need a music. I think we need the uh, Jaws music. And Justin says, as technology and technologically technological literacy spreads further in the world, seeping down into the cracks and crannies, we should all be prepared for some surprises like the dinosaurs in Jurassic Park. Few people predicted the adoption of Twitter in the Middle East would lead to, and we'll go from there. Let's not get into too much politics, but interesting way of looking at the consequences. I think we're living with that. Go ahead, Justin. Right. I mean, I think it's important for, as we've seen in a number of cases all across the spectrum in the news, you know, obviously the the GME uh, GameStop thing is most recent um, for Robinhood. 
Um, as technology spreads and people become technologically literate, um, there are unexpected consequences and we have to be ready to move and adapt with it. Um, I think um, the interesting thing is it's not understanding the technology itself that matters. You don't need to know how the algorithms are pulling things up on Reddit and Wall Street bets. What you need to think about is how the people use it, um, what people can do with it. And essentially it was people, not technology, that caused that massive short squeeze. And, you know, there's been tons of cases. Um, I feel like the last two years has just been full of cases where people use technology in surprising ways and people weren't predicting it. And then, oh my gosh, well, what, what just happened there? And everyone's kind of looking backwards. I think we all, we need more futurists and we all need to be more open and ready to adapt when we see something that, to move with it, to go with it. You can't, you can't, it's trying to hold it back. is like trying to hold back a wave in the ocean. It's not going to stop. Best thing to do is, you know, at least duck underneath it and maybe try to ride it. Um, so I think we all have to be ready for that. Thank you very much. And we have time. We've got six minutes left. I think we have time for one more. I'm going to go to Aman's prediction number two, and I'd like you to segue into number three. I think they go together nicely, Aman. So prediction number two, the age of digital technology and AI is really the golden age of liberal arts. He says being technically fluent will let people express themselves by building custom digital solutions in ways never seen before. Let me segue right into three. The basics of software and digital technology will soon be like the basics of accounting and finance. Every executive to get promoted will have to be fluent in tech. That's our topic. I want you to end up there. So why don't you take about two and a half, three minutes, and then we'll get a quick response from Justin and John, and then we'll wrap. Go ahead, Aman. Sure. Yeah, I think, uh, you know, like what Justin said in the beginning, his background in uh, the classic, in the classics, and uh, uh, it's really, I think since technology is becoming more and more abstracted, and we are dealing more with the consequences of, you know, data and, you know, having different technologies that affect our lives. Um, I think now it's really the time when once you're a little technically fluent, you can really leverage your humanities background. Uh, you, if you understand philosophy, we need to become better thinkers in general to be able to take advantage and make a splash in the, in the world of technology. And I think, a lot of the tech, the executives uh, of the future who want to get to the top position, uh, it will be more about how their rich background relates to te- how they can use technology along with their rich backgrounds, and less about being uh, a quote unquote you know full fledged engineer who just dabbles a little bit in other fields to you know make sense of them. So I think the future is really liberal arts. That's that's my that's my personal feeling. Thank you very much. Interesting. And I found a good segue here to John Lester's prediction number four. John, let's see if we can squeeze this one and we still have a couple of minutes. You say lawyers and policymakers will need to become more technically fluent because now policy decisions will require a completely different way of thinking. I think there's some ins and outs there. John, can you take about 60 seconds, 90 seconds max for that one? Yeah, I'll, I'll just I'll just give a one example that I think should highlight this completely. The 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 laws in the United States around um, responsibility when you're driving a vehicle is based upon humans and human error. When you get into autonomous vehicles, where the human decision making has been taken out of the equation on uh, on an immediate basis, in other words, the person is no longer doing it. Where does liability then rest? 
and it, and I will tell you, this is this is a hugely perplexing question to the insurance industry, but it forces everybody to think completely differently. What? How do we define liability? How do we define responsibility? Do we really care if somebody is um, negligent or not in in this world? And this is huge. This is and as we continue with new technology pieces, this is going to continue to become a problem. Thank you very much, Justin. We're going to wrap with your prediction number two. This is a good one. You say, as technology encroaches further into every aspect of our lives, I think we all know this, we will all become increasingly literate out of necessity. We've touched on that a little bit. And here's what I want you to talk about. You've got 60 mm-hmm. seconds. The generational gap in tech fluency will become less and less pronounced. I like this. Are we talking the boomer high end? Are we talking the toddler low end? What are we talking? Justin, you're up. 60 seconds. Go. Right. So this is the, you know, the boomer zoomer thing right now that it it looks like there's this big gap, but I think the gap's not nearly as big as we think it is. If you think of the, because I think that, you know, the the boomers, they saw their parents and, and, and there's a couple of cases. And I've heard you tell the story about your mom, you know, was actually pretty savvy with technology into her nineties, but you could see what happened as you got older, the, the ones that adopted and embraced technology, their lives were better than the ones who didn't. So I think the boomers are much more open to adopting that. Some of the most influential people I follow on Instagram that post the most are over 60. Um, Facebook is, you know, a whole of the oldest generation. And I think as each generation sees the advantages of staying current and adopting the technology, that gap is going to get smaller and smaller. I think it's a lot smaller than everyone actually thinks it is right now. I think you're right. When my mom was talking about a cell phone and getting a computer, a lot of her friends were receiving laptops and desktops from their children as gifts. These were well-to-do widows, mostly women, and they would say, what do I need that for? I'm going to pick up the phone and call you. And my mom was doing research. She was listening to my internet radio show and doing all, she was doing mm-hmm. research for some of the clubs she belonged to in her 90s. She was online doing research and, and printing stuff out. Her printer always always dried up because she didn't use it often. <laughs> we always had dry ink. Anyway, I, I guess Sharon can't join us back, but Sharon, thank you so much. I want to say a shout out. Aman Agarwal, you and Lisa Mankoskaya, I hope I'm pronouncing her name right, did a great job assembling. Your, your topic was great, very timely. I appreciate it. And thank you for inviting John Lester. Thank you for inviting Justin Bolden. Thank you for inviting and introducing me to Dr. Sharon Jones. Quick shout out to my engineer extraordinaire, Aaron Keller at Voice America. Everybody clap for Justin, for Justin and Amon and Sharon and John and Aaron. We're all a team. I'm Bonnie D. Graham. Thanks for tuning in to Technology Revolution, the future of now. Remember, somebody says to you, the future is already here. I want you to wag your finger like this and say, no, 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 you're wrong. That was yesterday's future. Today's future didn't happen yet. Let's all make it a better one. Be smart, be safe, be savvy, and wear your damn mask. (laughs) Bye-bye! Thank you for joining us for Technology Revolution, the future of now. Mark your calendar to join host Bonnie D. Graham every Wednesday at 8 a.m. Pacific Time, 11 a.m. Eastern on the Voice America Business Channel to hear how technology is impacting your future now. 